I don't know if in uh, your job there's ever a day of the week or an event of, of your job that uh, you get more excited about than you do other parts of that job. Or uh, maybe something that happens and, and you know it's coming down the pike and you, you just can't wait for that day. Uh, well, today is one of those days for me. Um, I plan my, my teaching schedule. I plan out ahead a little bit. And, and uh, so I, I've known that this passage of Scripture was coming up. And I've just been really, really anticipating this day. And I'll tell you why. It's very, very simple. Because the truth that God has taught in this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today, if we would honestly evaluate our lives in light of God's teaching, this is life transformational. I don't say that because of my ability to teach it. I say it because of God's ability to write it. Uh, there are some of you I know who are struggling with what God is fixing today. So I'm going to ask you to, uh, just with me, uh, pray that Satan won't come and block our thoughts. That there won't be distractions that keep us from focusing. That, that when those time of or that time of decision comes, that uh, we have the freedom and the courage uh, to say yes. We pray with me? Father, today, um, I don't know what you want to do. But I do know, Father, that you do amazing things. And so today, as we look into your word and we study what it is that uh, you taught through your son, Jesus, Father, as we understand uh, those things in this life, in the earthly kingdom that, that crowd in and Satan uses to try and mess us up, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would so uh, envelop this room and so protect our hearts today that, that the only voice we hear is your Spirit. Protect my, my lips, Father. I, I pray that you not allow me to say anything that will confuse or, Father, that, that will be uh, a distraction. But instead, Father, I pray for freedom. I pray for boldness. I pray for an openness from your Holy Spirit. I ask this in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. As children, we were taught uh, certain words and phrases that good boys and girls say at the appropriate time. I, I was taught these things. I taught my children these things. Uh, I'm sure that you've done the same. For instance, if, if you're a polite little boy or girl and you want something from someone, what's the magic word? Please. Once someone provides that and you want to, to show respect, what do you say? More. <laughs> we have one very bad little boy amongst us this morning. We say, thank you. Uh, if you walk in front of someone or accidentally bump into someone, you say, excuse me. <laughs> I want us to think this morning about a, a phrase that we're taught. See, sometimes we're, we're taught those words without really understanding the true meaning. We're taught those words before we're, we're able to truly grasp what it is that mom or dad or, or others are trying to get us, not just to say, but to experience. And there's a phrase that probably, in my estimation anyway, is said with the least sincerity. 
of any of these. And that's the phrase, I'm sorry. Don't get me wrong. When I was told to, I said those words as instructed. Tell Patty you're sorry for calling her a name. I'm sorry, but you're still a chubby slob. <laughs> Our parents taught us that phrase. And we, in turn, teach that to our children and our grandchildren because we realize the importance of forgiveness. Jesus also understood how important this part of our human existence is. In fact, Jesus was so committed to this idea of forgiveness that he said, I will give my entire life. I will allow myself to die on the cross, Mike, so that you can experience forgiveness. And I want you to keep this in mind uh, as we talk about that this morning. Jesus made that decision, uh, Paul tells the church at Rome. In the book of Romans, Paul says that while we were still in our sin, Christ died for us. Christ was willing to pay everything that he had to offer us forgiveness before we made any kind of move to, to act like or to believe that we needed that. But Jesus' teaching about forgiveness is not just about eternity. It's very much about how we live in this life. In another of his life lessons, we're looking at parables uh, over these last or these few weeks that uh, we've been together, and we've got a couple more to go. But as we look at these parables, uh, the one that Jesus is teaching us today reminds us that we have a responsibility to have a forgiving attitude, but more importantly, a forgiving heart. Not just the words, not just the actions outwardly that, that show that we are trying to forgive someone, but truly a transformation on the inside. Can't be just lip service. Can't be just saying it on the outside, but meaning it from our hearts. Our forgiveness of others must be genuine and purposeful. I want to warn you, in the truth that Jesus teaches us today, he didn't hold back. He got pretty direct. And so that's the path we're going to follow this morning. Forgiveness from the heart is not only a good thing for children, but forgiveness from the heart is a necessary thing for the child of God. In just a moment, we're going to look at the parable. It's in Matthew chapter 18, beginning of verse 21. If you want to find that passage and just stick your finger in there, we're going to uh, go to that in just a moment. But I want to give you a little bit of what's happening uh, in the life of Christ right now and in the life of the disciples as Jesus prepares to teach this truth. The disciples, are, they're getting close to Jerusalem for that final time for Jesus to actually go to the cross. And as they're traveling, the disciples are having this argument with each other. And Jesus, being all-knowing, picks up on the argument. And he's going, really, guys? You're arguing about who's going to be number one in the kingdom of heaven. Who's going to be first among us? Who's going to sit at the right hand? And who's going to sit at the left? And what is happening is that that kingdom of God stuff that the disciples were learning from Jesus, what it means to be uh, glorified in his kingdom 
was kind of getting impacted and merging with that kingdom of this world. That desire to be on top, that desire to be in first place. And so uh, when those two kingdoms collide, we find these guys arguing with each other. They're concerned about how they deal with things in this life. And that's a, a, a purposeful and important concern. But then they go on and, and they start talking about how do they deal with those people that have caused them harm. And Jesus gives that very familiar passage of Scripture about going to your brother and, and confronting him with his sin and then uh, if he doesn't listen, go and take two from the church. And if he doesn't listen, bring him before the whole congregation. And if he doesn't listen, then just treat him as you would a tax collector and a sinner. And it's in that context then, it's in all of this stuff that's going through the heads of the disciples as they're nearing that time of Jesus' crucifixion. But Peter, speaking for the rest, asks this question. Look at verse uh, 21 of Matthew 18. Then Peter said to Jesus, or came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owned, owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. God's word has a very, very practical lesson for us today. If we're willing to listen, if we're willing to allow his spirit to teach us, he will teach us that we can experience the joy and freedom that comes in offering forgiveness to those who hurt us by recognizing the grace and mercy of Jesus in our lives. Jesus gets right to the point. He gets right to the point in this discussion. And he tells us that in his grace, he provides the expectations of our forgiveness. He tells us what those expectations are. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? 
Up to seven times, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times. Some translations will even put that 70 times seven times. As you know, Peter was often the spokesman for the group. He was by nature the, the curious one. He was also the answer man. He would often raise a question and then answer it himself to, to show just how intelligent and how in tune with Jesus he really was. His suggestion of forgiving an offender seven times was not just a random number pulled out of the air. In fact, Peter very well may have been looking back at that discussion of who was going to be greatest and, and thinking, I've got this one. This one phrase right here will lock it up for me. The perfect number. Peter chose seven because it's the it speaks of perfection. And so he says to Jesus, Jesus, don't you think we should forgive people seven times? He nailed it in his mind. To understand Peter's suggestion, let's just think about what forgiveness looked like, what the attitude of forgiveness was in that first century Israel. There were two practices of the Jewish people at that time that could have played into this question. One was the sacrificial system that was begun in the Old Testament. And the purpose of the sacrificial system, and we've talked about this before, but the purpose was for uh, the priest to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people once a year on the Day of Atonement. But it, it, the action of the sacrifice wasn't as important as the attitude of the heart. In other words, God has always, always, always depended on the faith of the individual for sin to be forgiven. So when that priest went in to sacrifice, the idea was that was representation. The blood that was shed of that lamb was representation of the hearts of the people who were pleading with God for forgiveness. But that had all changed by the first century. Because now people looked at that as an excuse to sin. In other words, they would say, I can continue in this pattern of sinning because once a year I get to get rid of it and start all over. Know anybody today that does that? Well, I, I, I can sin because God will forgive me when I ask. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. But the attitude of, of abusing and using that sacrificial system or abusing the grace of God by saying, I'm going to knowingly continue in my sin and then just ask for forgiveness to wipe the slate clean so I can start over, was very, very prevalent and very, very dangerous for those people. A second attitude that uh, plays into this discussion, or, or a, a, a rule, if you will, by this time, the rabbis had established a truth that if you were offended by someone, you needed to forgive them, but after three times of forgiving, you were done. You only had to forgive three times. And then uh, you didn't have to forgive that person any longer. Now, neither of those things were, were God's intent. They were man's interpretation. Man put those rules in place for his own convenience. So think about that with me. When Peter comes to Jesus and he says, how many times should we forgive? The, the right answer, according to Jewish tradition, would be three. So Peter's being very magnanimous and he said, let's up that thing to seven. Let's up that to the perfect number. Obviously, 
the rabbinical law was not adequate for loving God. Remember, seven, as I said, is considered that perfect number. Peter may have had this idea in mind. And that's very noble. But in Jesus' response, he said, that's not even sufficient. That doesn't even come close to what God looks for when he looks for forgiving heart. Jesus took Peter's suggestion of perfection, and he multiplied it by 10, then multiplied it by perfection. This is the formula that Jesus uses. If you want to know how often you should forgive someone, forgive them enough that it pleases God. And then multiply that by 10, and then multiply that by what it takes to please God. Now you say, Pastor Mike, that's weird algebra. The point is this. Jesus is saying in God's mind, there's no ceiling. In God's mind, there's no place at which human forgiveness will ever be enough. Where we can stop. Where we can say, that's good enough for me. The point Jesus is making is very, very clear. When it comes to our need to forgive those who have offended us, we are never free to fail to forgive. It's our role as disciples of Christ to forgive people indefinitely. Think about that famous prayer. We say it often around here, especially uh, when we have communion. We call it the Lord's Prayer. There's a line in there that says in, in the Matthew, in the NIV version, it says, Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. When we repeat it together, we use the other version, we say, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Have you ever thought about what Jesus is asking us to pray there? In prayer, Jesus taught us to ask him to use the identical criteria when he is forgiving us that we have used in forgiving others. He's asking that, that we view those things exactly the same. How willing was Jesus to forgive? All the way to the cross. And so if we are praying that prayer honestly, what are we saying? We're saying we're willing to forgive our brother at the same level, Jesus, that you were willing to forgive us. That's heavy stuff. The Jews had missed the point. They wanted unlimited forgiveness from God for, for themselves in the sacrificial system. God, you just keep forgiving every time that, that I sacrifice a lamb. You just keep forgiving me. I want that. But they wanted a quota. I'll do it maybe three times. Jesus goes on in our story this morning to point out just what that level of forgiveness looks like. He teaches us that he provides the scope of his forgiveness. Look at verse 23 with me. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began the settlement, uh, as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. Jesus begins this portion uh, of this parable again, reminding us that our understanding and decisions about forgiveness are not based on this earthly kingdom. What's he say? The kingdom of heaven is like. We've talked about this before, but I just want this to be embedded in our minds today. That Jesus is not saying that we are going to immediately be leaving this earth and be living in, in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven, but instead he's allowing us to be citizens of the kingdom while we're still on this earth. And so he's saying, as you're functioning, as, as those on this earth, as you're functioning in this human environment with relationships and families and all of the things that go into that, and, and the attacks of Satan and everything else, as you do that, keep your eyes on what it means to be a citizen of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like, as you live here, this is what life should look like for a citizen of the kingdom. This is so important to understand. We all know the rules of this life. We all know the rules of this world. It's every man for himself. If you hurt me, I have the right to hurt you back. That's what man says. But Jesus says, I've got a better way. The kingdom of heaven is like. His plan is totally foreign to the thinking of this world. But is the very basis of love in his kingdom. It's the very basis of everything that he's about. As we begin to, to understand and interpret what he's trying to teach us through this parable, we need to identify the characters. I think it's probably obvious, but I just want us to, to make sure we're all on the same page. The king, the king represents God. God who wants to settle accounts with his servants. We're talking about a time of judgment. A time of, of God looking at us and, and what it is that's in our hearts. The servants are you and me. Those who have been redeemed and are part of his eternal kingdom. And of course the debt that was owed by the servant is sin. That is on our account when we enter the world. It's an interesting story here. And again, a parable Jesus is not, uh, doesn't have one individual in mind. This is a story that he made up to help us understand a principle. But he, he uses hyperbole here. He, he makes the, the debt so large that man can't even comprehend. When you do the math of, of 10,000 talents, some have, have come up with different formulas. And I won't take the time to go through all that because everybody gets a different answer. But just suffice it to say, if we were looking at that in today's dollars, it would be in the billions. He, he just chose an astronomical debt that this man owed. Why did he do that? Because he wanted us to understand how God views our sin. He wanted us to understand the debt of sin that you and I owe. He wanted us to understand that that debt could never, ever, ever have been repaid. The man, when he, he knelt down before the, the, the king and he said, give me time and I'll repay that, the king just kind of chuckled. There's no way. It's too large. The inability of the servant to pay resulted in the man and his family being sentenced 
to slavery. This is a picture of our fate under the debt of sin. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. That's what we owe. That's what we owe. When the man fell to his knees and asked for mercy, that debt was erased. When the man fell to his knees and asked for grace, that debt was erased. Mercy. You know what that word means. It's not getting what I deserve. The man deserved imprisonment. He deserved slavery and his family to be in slavery. The, the, the wages of sin, Romans says, is death. That's what we deserve. It's a price that we cannot pay on our own. But God's grace, getting something that I don't deserve. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is making the picture very, very clear here. It's a simple truth. Our sin is so great a debt before a holy God that there is no other outcome but for us to be left in the hands of Satan and his plan of death. No matter what we do, that debt is so high that we could never, ever, ever satisfy it on our own. I want you to note something here. He didn't mention what uh, an individual sin was. This wasn't a guy that came before him as a murderer or a rapist or an adulterer. We don't know what, what the sin is because it doesn't matter. If that sin is not redeemed, God sees it all the same. Because of the fall of Adam and Eve, I am born in sin. And so when Jesus looks at me, when God evaluates my life, he says there's only one outcome, Mike, and that's death for all of eternity. That's separation from God the Father. And I can foolishly think that I could somehow please God. Well, let me do a few acts of service. Let me, let me try to be good enough, God, that, that you will forgive that debt. And he just kind of chuckles. He said, no, 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 no. The debt is too great. And so I cry out to him, and on my knees I, I ask for mercy and I ask for grace. And in that moment, that debt is forgiven. In that moment, that, that billions of dollars, if you will, that unbelievable grace pours into my life. And at that moment, that sin is taken away. It's buried in the deepest sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. I am now seated in the heavenly realms. The debt is paid. When we recognize that things are bleak and hopeless for us and we cry out for mercy and that unpayable debt is canceled, at that moment we're justified. At that moment it's just as if I never ever even sinned. So Jesus wants that picture in the minds of the disciples, and he wants that picture in our minds. That, that on God's side, if you want to, to develop a ledger, on God's side of the ledger, he has already forgiven us of billions and billions of dollars worth of, of sin, if you, if you want to put it in the context of the parable. That debt has been paid. I couldn't do anything. It was only him. 
So now he says, how are you going to respond to that truth? How are you going to reflect the fact that I and my grace, Mike, have done that for you? He goes on. With that wonderful truth of God's grace in our minds, Jesus provides the danger of being unforgiven. Look at verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. It's not hard to figure out what's happening here. It's not hard to, to figure out what Jesus is trying to help us understand. The very one who had been forgiven that huge debt of sin now refused to forget this, for, forgive this little tiny offense. A few denarii. A few dollars. The billions of dollars of forgiveness granted to me because of my sin. And, and now God is saying, just that, that little bit of offense that this person in this life has given to you, what's your response going to be? The man in the story said, no, thank you. The man in the story said, I, I appreciate what you did, God, for me, but it hasn't transferred into me being willing to respond in kind. To me being willing to give up this little bit of offense so that I honor you, so that I can stand before you without that burden of, of that unforgiveness in my life. Jesus is very direct. The unforgiving servant then faced a fate worse than his own dad had. I want you to see that. If he had not been able to pay back his billions, he, he and his family were going to be uh, put into slavery. But when he refused to forgive and, and the, the one who owed just the, the little bit, he was put in prison until that debt could be paid. How is he ever going to pay a debt that was unpayable in the first place when he's in prison? What's the point? He's not consequences are severe Jesus is very purposeful when he used that great discrepancy the, the millions or billions of dollars that represent our sin that was just forgiven because of God's grace compared to the little bit of, of dollars that we can't forgive that offense of a brother Listen, Jesus wants us to understand the difference between how this world views life and how life is viewed in his kingdom. Wes, pop that next slide up, if you will. No matter how bad the offenses done against us by other people, they don't even come close to the offense our sin 
was to a holy God. We have to understand that, people. We have to get our arms around that truth. No matter how bad the offense done against us by other people. And you know what? People can be cruel. Family members can be cruel. People we work with can be cruel. This life, because it's controlled by that roaring lion who's seeking whom he can devour, this life can be cruel. There are hurts. I recognize that. I understand that. But Jesus is saying, there's nothing that will ever hurt you as badly as your sin hurt a holy God. Keep that in perspective. Jesus just wants us to stop and think about it for a minute. He would say to us this morning, since I have done so much in forgiving your debt of sin, simply because of my mercy and grace, don't you think you should offer the same mercy and grace to those who have offended you? Our sin cost Jesus his life. The offense of the others may have hurt us a lot, but there's still no comparison. So now we have to decide what we're going to do with the unforgiving spirit. Jesus provides the lesson of true forgiveness. Again, strong words. Look at verse 35. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart. Jesus said, follow my example. Jesus said, have my heart. Understand that forgiveness is something that comes through mercy and grace. His warning is clear. Failure to forgive others in this life has consequences. And, and that warning is harsh, you know? I, I understand that. The warning is harsh, but it's harsh for this reason. God's intent is, is an act of love and protection. God's intent is for us to, to find a means of understanding that because he could forgive us uh, such a great debt of our sin, that we have it within us because we have him within us. We have the ability to take those hurts and those offenses of others and just give them to him. Take them out of our life and just say, I don't want any part of them anymore. If Satan can keep us angry, if he can keep us unwilling to forgive, he can keep us from living as true citizens of God's kingdom. When we grasp just how important it is to Jesus that we forgive those in this life who have hurt us, we might then have to decide what we're going to do about it. I want to give you some facts about forgiveness. Just some very, very practical steps, some truth that we can hold on to this morning. The first one is this. The lack of forgiveness is a cancer that will eat away at your spirit. Why is it that God made such, through his son Jesus, made such a big deal? And made the warning so strong about us hanging on to those things that we fail to forgive others. Why, why is he being so strong? Because he understands that that's a foothold for Satan. He understands that, that that lack of forgiveness turns to anger. And that anger turns to resentment. And that resentment turns to bitterness. I want you to answer this question this morning. Just think about this with me. When you think about those people that have offended you, 
and you're angry or you're hurt or you're frustrated, whatever the emotion, when you think about them, how are they impacted? They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue. See, your anger that you're holding against that person has absolutely no impact on either changing them or hurting them back. So if I hold anger, the only person who's being impacted by that anger and that lack of forgiveness is me. It's me. And it's a cancer that will eat and eat and eat away at my heart. Think about this with me. This might be close to home for some because you're here uh, experiencing this. But what if the, the doctor walked into the examining room and he said, Mike, you have incurable terminal cancer. Wow. Hit me hard. But then he turns around and he says, Mike, there's a new discovery. I have a drug that is 100% guaranteed to totally eliminate and eradicate that cancer from your life. And I go, you know what? This doctor, I don't like him. He's kind of rude when he comes into the room and and he's kind of brash and he doesn't have a good size bedside manner. You know what, doc, I don't want your medicine. Would I do that? No. But I have the cancer of unforgiveness in me and I say that person that offended me, I don't, I don't want anything to do with them. They, 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 they've been cruel, they've been mean. I just So God, I don't want your medicine. Think about it. Secondly, forgiveness is not between me and the offender. It's between me and God. Forgiveness is not between me and the offender. It's between me and God. It's a matter of getting my eyes off what hurts and putting my eyes on who heals. Taking my eyes off what hurts and getting my eyes on who heals. Now, how do we do that? Here's the truth. Listen. Forgiveness does not need to be asked for. It doesn't need to be wanted or even accepted by the offender for it to be given. It is not up to the person who has offended us to do anything in order for me to be able to forgive. Why? Because a lack of forgiveness is simply a spiritual issue. The lack of forgiveness is between me and God. Remember, if I'm holding a grudge against somebody, they, number one, may never know. And if they know, they may not care. So my unforgiveness, that cancer that's eating away at me and, and causes me to be angry in those moments when I think about it, the only one being hurt is me. And the only relationship that's being scarred is my relationship with the Father. And so I don't have to wait for that person who offended me to ask for forgiveness. I don't have to, to know that they have forgiven me for me to be able to let it go. It doesn't work that way. Since it's simply between me and God, truly a spiritual issue, God doesn't need anyone else's permission to act in my life. If Bob offends me, 
and it hurts really bad, or he costs me money, or he, he disrespects my family, or whatever he does, if Bob offends me, God doesn't need Bob's permission in order to purify my heart. All he needs, listen, all God needs is a willingness on my part, a decision on my part. Look at number four. Offering forgiveness is an act of my will in submission to God's command. Offering forgiveness is an act of my will in submission to God's command. Very, very practical understanding here. God commands us in this, in this parable, God commands us to forgive. God cannot command me to do something that is dependent on another person to make happen. So what's he saying? Saying, Mike, you need to take that offense. You need to take that hurt. You need to take all of those days and hours of, of dwelling on that pain and that, that deep-rooted cancer that's in your life that causes bitterness. You need to wrap that all up. And you need to just simply submit it to me. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that we are to daily be living sacrifices. That means taking those things that God doesn't want us to carry and just laying them on the altar for Him to destroy. For Him to wipe away. And in that process, we're free of it. In a simple act of faith and saying, God, I believe in my heart of hearts today that if I submit this to you, you will take it away. You will purify me from the impact that this lack of forgiveness has had on me. Comes full circle. Why should I do that? Because that's my response to a loving God. That's my response to having been forgiven of my sin in the life of Jesus Christ. My response then in worship is to say, I don't have a leg to stand on in holding this bitterness and holding this anger. See, there's a characteristic of God that he offers to us. We are made in the image of God. That means some of the characteristics of God, not all of them, not his omniscience or omnipotence, but some of the characteristics of God, he allows us to, to incorporate into our life here today. And one of those is the ability to forgive and let go. See, when, when God forgave me, what did he do with that sin? Buried it in the deepest sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. Okay, Those are human words that say God's not dealing with it anymore. But let's think about who God is. He's omniscient. God is not able to physically forget anything. So you know what? My lack of faith before I came to Christ, God, God knows that that was there. Those things that I've said that have been unkind, God knows that those are there. Those things my eyes have seen, those places my feet have taken me that have been displeasing to God, He knows they're there. But when I ask for forgiveness, what does He do with them? He packs them away and he chooses not to hold them against me. He chooses not to remember them. 
They're as far as the east is from the west. They're gone from his consciousness. Why? Because he chooses to do that. And we have that ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to say, I, am, I know that person hurt me. I know that that offense was there, but I'm choosing not to any longer allow that to impact my life. I'm just going to put it away. And when I do that, when I do that, then the Holy Spirit has all this space that was once taken up by my anger. All this space that was once taken up by my frustration and my pain, He has that now to pour out His love in my heart and make me a better person for it. The warning of Jesus is strong because he wants us to experience his full grace and mercy this morning. An unforgiving attitude leads to a bitter and resentful heart. And a bitter and resentful heart is, is just like pouring fertilizer on Satan's field. Because he can make it grow and make it grow and make it grow. And in the end we lose. By offering forgiveness, I free my heart up for God to bring the power of his Holy Spirit in. And he promises to do that. Some of you struggle with forgiveness. Some of you have allowed past hurts to dictate how you view every single day. And Jesus in his grace said, you know what, it's time just to stop. You stand with me. In just a moment, I'm going to close in prayer. But here's the invitation. The invitation is simply this. If God's Holy Spirit has said to you today, I want to free you. I want today to be the very last morning that you wake up with that anger in your life. I want today to be the very last day that you have to think about that person that offended you. I want today to be the very last day that you carry around that lack of forgiveness. If God's Spirit is, is challenging you, just simply offer it back to Him. A prayer that God places on your heart or, or you can even pray in your heart after me this morning. Father, please take away that lack of forgiveness from my life. I willingly submit it to you and I ask that you give me the ability through the power of your Holy Spirit to just put it aside and never pick it up again. Thank you for all that you paid for my sin. Thank you for all of the freedom that I have because of your death and resurrection, Jesus. But I ask today that I have freedom as I choose to forgive my brother and my sister. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you say, Pastor Mike, I, I just want you to pray with me that, that I stand firm in that decision. I want you to, to pray with me that Satan doesn't try to snatch away what God has just planted in my life. And, and, and I'll pray for you. Would you just lift your hand where you're at? Thank you. Thank you. Others? Thank you. Father, you're a good God. You've done good things this morning, so we praise you for that. Go with us. 
through the power of your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.